last time, perhaps if ever, you stopped and consciously caught yourself talking to yourself, reminding yourself about the blessed benefits of knowing God as Father. You ever do that? Who is God? And what exactly is at the center of God's divine heart towards his precious and redeemed children? And what is man? Who are we? And why do we stand so desperately in need of God's amazing love and tender mercy? Dane Ortland is a name that I share from time to time here, and I happen to be reading through a devotional that he's written on the Psalms entitled, In the Lord I Take Refuge. That's the name of the book, and I just happened to be reading again this week. And so I swerved over to Psalm 103. And Dane Ortland writes this in relief of Psalm 103. He says, What is it above all else that weary sinners need to know the most? What is oxygen to us in our distressed, often pain-riddled lives? If not the radiant sun of divine favor and benefits, shining down on God's children through Christ. He says, while the clouds of sin and failure may darken our feelings of that favor, it cannot be lessened any more than a tiny wispy cloud can threaten the existence of the sun itself. The sun is shining. It cannot stop. So be at peace. Close quote. Now you know why I read Dane Ortland from time to time. Well, friends, our second selection here in our new summer series, A Summer in the Psalms, is of course Psalm 103. This psalm is itself the definitive answer to the defining question, why should I praise and glorify the Lord? In fact, the great Baptist preacher of the 19th century, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, himself called Psalm 103 a Bible within itself. A Bible within itself. He quipped that this one holy hymn of the Hebrew people contains too much praise for a thousand pens to write. Well, we're going to give it a shot in 40 minutes. This tremendous psalm has also served as the wonderful inspiration behind numerous of the classic hymns that have found their way even to our hymn book this morning, including the 17th century German hymn, Praise to the Lord the Almighty, from Joachim Neander. Speak German, but I'm assuming that's how you pronounce his last name. You'll recognize the lyric, Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. Oh, oh, my soul, praise him, for he is thy health and salvation. All ye who hear, now to his temple draw near. Join me in glad adoration. You know that song. Praise to the Lord, who are all things so wondrously reigneth. Shelters thee under his wings, yes, so gently sustaineth. Hast thou not seen how all thy longings have been? Granted in what he ordaineth. The third stanza, praise of the Lord, who doth prosper thy work and defend thee. Surely his goodness and mercy here daily attend thee. Ponder or think anew what the Almighty can do, if with his love he befriend thee. And finally, the fourth and last stanza, praise to the Lord, O let all that is in me adore him. All that hath life and breath, come now with praises before him. 
Let the amen sound from his people again, gladly for I, we adore him. Oh, Brian, put that one in the queue coming up. Look, in Psalm 103, we behold an expansive anthem, like throwing a stone in a pond and seeing the ripples go forth of public adoration in the covenant-keeping God of Israel. We notice here that we find all of God's creation, firstly the psalmist David himself in verses 1 through 5, giving praise to God. Then, in verses 6 through 18, we find the whole community of believing Israel passing on the praise of God. And, and then finally, even every corner and crevice of creation has been swept into this glad anthem of God's praise in verses 19 to 22. Praising God for all that He is and for all that He has done is the anthem and the theme of Psalm 103. You know, there are many, many reasons why I think the Lord has laid this particular psalm on my heart for you this morning, not least of which is the fact, there's a bit of irony that we'll see in this psalm, that we are so often guilty of forgetting the benefits of Almighty God. You ever feel like you have spiritual amnesia, that you just can't remember God's goodness, but you want to? Maybe we've all experienced that. Notice verse 2, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. That is the recurring motif of this music and this song. Notice a bit later in verses 17 and 18, we read these words, the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to the children's children, to those who keep covenant, notice, and remember to do his commandments. Church, this entire psalm, from one important angle, is all about not forgetting. Not forgetting. More positively stated, it is about us remembering and being reminded of God's grandeur, God's enormity, God's goodness, and the blessed benefits of knowing Christ. By the way, I stumbled across this little factoid from the Bible that the word remember, the word remember is found 350 times in the Bible, maybe one for every day of the year. I know we have 365 days, but work with me, guys, work with me. Often, the most spiritual thing we can do in any given day is simply remember the goodness of God. Just remember His goodness. Now, a second reason why I chose this particular psalm for this particular day is what is most perhaps obvious from the psalm itself, verses 13 and 14. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. Isn't that peculiar? I think it's intended irony that though we are forgetful of what he's done, he doesn't forget who we are. He remembers that we are dust. He remembers our frailty. See, as a human father myself, now for 17 incredible years, I know the experience and the necessity of having compassion for one's children. That's why they're still alive this morning. <laughs> they are precious but they are prone to wander. They get sick and they call out for, mostly mom, but they sometimes call out for dad 
too. They are weak and dependent, and they are in need of our constant support and provision, and that's exactly what we're like before the Lord. We are his children, and he is not constantly annoyed with us when we need something. He delights. He is the father who fawns over his faithful ones. Listen, this image of God embedded in Psalm 103, himself showing compassion on us as weak and sinful children, is one of four incredible illustrations or images found in verses 11 to 14. We really won't focus on them this morning. We'll allude to them. And it is a perfectly timed reminder today on this Father's Day of God, our Heavenly Father's expansive yet intimate and life-giving love for each one of us this morning. Don't read Psalm 103 as if it's written for somebody else. It's written for you. God wants you to know how much he loves you, how much he wants to bless you, and what are the benefits of knowing him in Christ. Our Heavenly Father loves us without limit, without limit. Now, thirdly, one of the final reasons why I picked Psalm 103 is a bit more technical, besides the fact that it's one of my personal favorites, and that it is is because it is a part of a little mini-psalter within the book of Psalms. A mini-psalter, a psalm within the Psalms. What do I mean by that? Well, if you haven't noticed, Psalm 103 is, one, is found near the end of what's called Book 4 of the Psalms. Perhaps you didn't know that, but the 150 Psalms are organized into five books of Psalms, and Psalm 103 comes very near the end of Book 4, the fifth book begins with Psalm 107. Moreover, it is one of only two Davidic psalms in this entire book, this entire section, the book four. Perhaps most importantly under this point is in many ways, Psalm 103 is the introduction to a set of special psalms, Psalm 103, Psalm 104, 105, and 106 which are a recapitulation, that is a fancy word that simply means a restatement of the Pentateuch, which is also a fancy word, which means the, the, the five, uh, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the books of Moses. In many ways, Psalm 103, 104, 105, and 106 restate what God revealed to Moses in the wilderness. Notice, Psalm 104, for example, is really the Genesis psalm, the Genesis psalm. There are creation images all throughout Psalm 104. Verse 5 of Psalm 104, he set the earth on its foundations so that it could never be moved. Verse 14, you caused the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate. Verse 19 of Psalm 104, he made the moon to mark the seasons, the sun to know its time for setting. So you notice it's, it's a creation or Genesis psalm. Psalm 105, then, is the Exodus psalm. It's the Exodus psalm. Notice what Psalm 105, uh, beginning with verse, let's say, uh, I'm in the right psalm, I hope. Psalm 105, verse 7. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. Verse 12. When they were few in number, of little account, and sojourners in it, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another, a little bit later, verse 26 of Psalm 105, he sent Moses, his servant, and Aaron, whom he had chosen, and they performed his signs among them and miracles in the land of Ham. So you just notice 
the imagery from the Exodus that is found in Psalm 105. But Psalm 106 is the wilderness psalm. Creation, redemption or exodus, and then thirdly, wilderness. Reminding the people of their covenant forgetfulness, their failure in uh, remembering the Lord. And in fact, they walked away from His promises. And you could go on to read Psalm 106 for that. The point here is that Psalm 103 is actually the setup for those inspired psalms and intentionally organized as such. These are strategically placed in an arrangement of inspired poems that bear a distinctively covenantal or redemptive design. And I think when we don't recognize that, we can still benefit from it, but we we miss some of the reason behind this psalm. Psalm 103 contains even great King David's own self-reflections as he read the law of Moses concerning the blessings of God's covenantal dealings with the people of Israel set against the stark reality of exile. Future to David, but in divine inspiration, it was timely for this. And the exile itself was, of course, Israel's just punishment, just consequences for forgetting the covenant of God. In summary then, just by way of introduction, this hymn, Psalm 103, urges us today, us, you and I today, as God's people, to remember God's character, even God's conduct and His promises on our behalf, which are ultimately found and gloriously fulfilled in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. And how do we do that? We do it by remembering His name and by remembering His benefits to us. So that's a bit of the background and the context, context and the structure of Psalm 103. What about its substance? Well, the first thing I want you to notice with me is how the first five verses, which will be our, our primary focus this morning, form a highly personal hymn of praise on the part of David, King David. He's reviewing and remembering, even at times it seems he's talking to himself about the blessings and the benefits of knowing God in covenant. David is there saying, He's not talking to anybody else. He's talking to himself. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life, David's talking to himself from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. David himself needed to have a bit of self-talk, focusing on the Lord above. I want you to notice here again in the first place that the very first line of Psalm 103 is precisely the very last line of Psalm 103. Did you notice that? Verse 22 says, bless the Lord all his works and in all places of his dominion, the, the, the scope or the focus of the psalm has expanded from David's heart through the community of Israel to the ends of the earth and heaven above. And the very last line repeats the first line, bless the Lord, O my soul. From top to bottom, beginning to end, David is captivated with the goodness and blessing of God. What does it really mean to bless the Lord? We use that phrase a lot in church. What does that mean? Well, the, the Hebrew verb is the verb barak, and it's found repeatedly throughout the Old Testament. It means to kneel with the idea of paying homage or respect or giving adoration 
or announcing praise to a worthy recipient. You barak someone who is worthy of it. Therefore, notice that the king, David, begins this great hymn by directing the entirety of his affections and all his actions and even his attitudes to all that God is, the entirety of God's character and conduct and covenantal blessings. There's something we learn from that, that praise to God, then simply put, is acknowledging all that God is with all that we are. Observe how, particularly early on in this psalm, David employs that little three-letter word, all, again and again. Verse 1, all that is within me, bless God's holy name. Verse 2, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Verse 3, the Lord who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases. The Lord works righteousness and justice, verse 6, for all who are oppressed. Listen, this is no half-hearted hymn of praise. David is leaning in with all he's got. Every ounce of David's spiritual being is oriented at every ounce of God's grandeur. That's what praise is. We're far too content to give God a little half-baked praise, and it doesn't taste very good. The true breadth of God's praiseworthy benefits to David personally in verses 1 to 5, and then by extension to all those who keep covenant in Israel, verses 6 to 18, are then expanded and then exclaimed by even God's angels and his holy ministers and servants by the end of Psalm 103. Notice in verse 20, Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of the Lord. Verse 21, Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. And then concluding, bless the Lord all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Simply, the point is that from start to finish, from beginning to end, literally from A to Z, God is shown as praiseworthy in his character and in his covenant. That is in his promises and his powerful works to David, then to Israel, then to all parts of creation. In Psalm 103, literally all corners of creation come together, the minute to the mighty, from the highest heaven to the farthest ends of the earth, and they are commanded and glad to oblige to bless the Lord with all that they are. Are you numbered among them? Are you numbered among them by grace? Now, I want to spend the rest of our time looking at the reasons why God is so praiseworthy. What are the five big benefits of knowing the Lord as God the Father? Well, we are told here what these benefits are, that we are not to forget them, which maybe implies that we are prone to forget them. What is it in the fine print of our faith that we are to do with this awesome God? Notice that there are precisely, again, five reasons. I call them a fistful of divine blessings and benefits this morning. One, perhaps, I don't know if this was intended for each book of the Pentateuch, Genesis through Deuteronomy. I wonder if there's some connection in that structure as David reflects over the law of Moses. I think there might actually be. Notice firstly, this is the first benefit. God the Father pardons freely. Us who love his son from all iniquity by the gospel of Jesus. The first blessed benefit 
is divine forgiveness. Forgiveness of sins. Verse 3 again says, who forgives all your iniquity. Someone has said, and I think this is good, we must think before we thank. We must ponder before we can praise. We must remember so that we can rejoice. It's hard for me, at least, not to see a little bit of a purposeful progression behind these five benefits that we're going to survey this morning. First, forgiveness. And then healing. And then deliverance. And then coronation. And ultimately, satisfaction. There is some reasonable progression from step to step in the divine benefits of knowing God as Father. It is at least possible that the psalmist David is reflecting on God's blessings as moving man from sin to satisfaction, from needing help to being crowned with honor and glory. The gospel meets us where we are, but it doesn't leave us where we are. The late Reverend James Montgomery Boyce, I think, rightly explains that the first thing David is thankful for is the forgiveness of sins. The first thing. For this is the greatest of all gifts that we can receive from God. Therefore, it is the first one that we need to have. Dear one, I ask you this morning, have all your sins been buried in the tomb with Jesus? Have you been pardoned from all your iniquity through a legitimate and life-changing profession of faith in God's Son, Jesus Christ? We don't want to take for granted that everyone here this morning is a believer. We certainly pray and work and hope that you are. Consider that this initial blessed benefit is anchored securely in the unchanging character of God, not in man's performance. David himself had very many great missteps, but rather in the unchanging character of God's covenant promises. Notice verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. The imagery here is infinitely, perfectly removed. If you go east, you will never start going west. You will always, always, always go east. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Now, Jeremiah chapter 31 contains the original promise of the new covenant. Now fulfilled for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know these words well. Jeremiah 31, verses 33 through 34. The Lord our God says, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. A little bit later, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after these days declares the Lord, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor or each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Another psalm powerfully puts it this way. Psalm 130, verses 3 and 4. If you, O Lord, should mark or note iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Again, simply, friend, have your sins, not just some, but all, been credited to Christ 
been placed upon him through faith and repentance? Well, if so, there should be one tune on your lips this morning. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me praise his holy name. Notice, secondly, this morning, that in addition to forgiveness, God the Father deals with all our diseases through the resurrection of His Son, Jesus Christ. Verse 3, the second part says, who heals all your diseases. We get forgiveness of sin. That has an idea of spiritual forgiveness. But there's also physical relief from distress and disease as well. Notice that this covenant blessing encompasses both spiritual and physical needs. It has rightly been said that God forgives us immediately, but He heals us eventually. I think that's so good and so true. But don't misunderstand me, friends. This is not a verse to be twisted or taken or misused out of context to guarantee in this life those who are physically weak or hurting with cancer or some heart trouble or some other physical concern, that God will absolutely heal, heal you in the here and now, this side of heaven. That's not what Psalm 103, unfortunately, is saying. Our experience, as well as the testimony of Scripture in place after place, shows that that is not the case. It is often God's will that He calls people home. The people that we love get sick. That's often the way that he works. God forgives us instantly, but he heals us eventually. David here is speaking both personally, but also representatively as one who blesses the Lord for the benefit of divine grace, both now, presently, and in, on into eternity. The promises of the gospel do, in fact, Listen to this, the promises of the gospel do in fact include removing all weakness, all sickness, all death, but it takes resurrection to do that. You may not be delivered from every distress and disease and fatigue now, but in the gospel one day you will be, one day you will be. Psalm 103 declares God heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. We have seen God answer so many prayer requests in this church. I think most recently of our brother Tom Rutt. I've been here for over seven years. Tom has been sick longer than that, dealing with cancer. Most recently, as you know, he fell and cracked his head literally wide open. We stood vigil. We were by his bedside. But Tom's still here. <laughs> He's still here. He's actually getting better. We don't know why God answers in the yes some prayers and others no. But we know that he does for his glory. We know that he does for our good. And we know that we're called to pray such prayers. Listen, for those Jews who lived long after King David, who had returned to the land from the depths of literal exile in Babylon, they needed to be reminded... What another Psalm 107 says, some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities, they suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them, and delivered them from their destruction. 
Let them therefore thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. It's the reason why when God does something good for you, you need to tell others about it. Because they need to know that God can do the same for them. Beloved, I wonder what physical affliction, what earthly sickness are you looking for or forward to God healing forever? Cast all your anxiety upon the Lord because he cares for you. 1 Peter 5, 7 reminds us. Through Christ and because of the good news of his resurrection from the dead, we can bless the Lord with all our soul for the fact that all our weakness and every shred of the, of the death covering uh, of death itself will one day, I believe soon, be completely a thing of the past. God is bringing the new heavens and the new earth. He is bringing us home. Disease and death have an expiration date because Jesus Christ rose again from the grave forever. Forgiveness and healing. But now thirdly notice that there's another glorious benefit that God the Father delivers his own. He redeems our lives from the pit of hopelessness. Verse 4, who redeems your life from the pit. Now to redeem one's life from the pit, at least for me, brought my mind straight to the Joseph narratives of Genesis 37 to 50. Now, I understand that's going to be the focus of our youth retreat starting next weekend. A great passage, great context to study. We should be praying for them in that time. The Joseph narratives, you know, weren't just about Joseph. Rather, that was a type of the nation itself and their rescue out of the pit of Egypt, the pit of slavery under Pharaoh, which itself was a type of Jesus' own deliverance and the deliverance of God's people the church through his resurrection and his redemption. To be redeemed, to redeem one's life from the pit is a glorious reality. Understand that the Jews, again, returning from exile, could have also personally identified with having their own lives redeemed from the pit of 70 years of captivity there in Babylon. So listen, the image here is that of being rescued from danger in a time of great distress and trouble. Even King David, the mighty David, certainly knew himself what this blessed benefit included. I think we see this in Psalm 56, for example, reflecting upon one such instance in his own life when God delivered the mighty David from the grip of the Philistines there in Gath. David wrote movingly, you have kept count of my tossings. You put my tears in a bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know that God is for me. In God whose word I praise, I, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? Psalm 56, 12, I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you, for you have delivered my soul from death. Yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. David knew what it was like to be delivered from a pit. Listen, has the precious and powerful outstretched arm of the Lord reached you and redeemed you out of the pit of your own misery and sin? The words to that great contemporary song, come thou fount of every blessing come to mind. Jesus sought me when 
I was a stranger wandering from the fold of God. He, to rescue me from danger, interposed his precious blood. From pride, from lust, from envy, from anger, from hatefulness, what pit has God rescued you from? Because I dare say, if you're a Christian, you've been rescued from a great pit. The Apostle Peter knew the joy of Psalm 103. Peter knew that experience of being redeemed out of betrayal, being redeemed out of, of failing the Lord personally. 1 Peter 1 verse 17 says, And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed, just as I was ransomed, Peter says, from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. Peter was used even after he failed to remember the faithfulness of Jesus. So what are these blessed benefits? We have surveyed three of them. First, forgiveness. And secondly, healing of disease. And thirdly, redemption from the pit. And now fourthly, get ready for this. God the Father, we are told, crowns us. He crowns his children with steadfast love and mercy. We have such a poor view of our spiritual possession. He crowns us. Yes, you should be thinking royalty here. He crowns us, verse 4, with steadfast love and mercy. Psalm 5, verses 11 and 12 say this, But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them, that those you love, your name may exalt in you. For you bless the righteousness, O Lord, and you cover, literally you crown him with favor as with a shield. When I studied this verse earlier in the week, I immediately thought of Pastor Jerry. Why? I ask myself that question all the time. Because of his favorite verse. I don't know if it's his favorite verse, but it's one of the verses I hear him say most often. 1 John 3, verses 1 and 2. Behold what kind of love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. You say that a lot. And I love it. I love it. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. We should upgrade our conception of our salvation. Why? Psalm 103 reminds us that our God loves to turn prodigals into princes. Our God loves to turn sinners into sons and saints. Our God loves to turn rebels into righteous servants for his almighty glory through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, instead of condemnation, we get coronation. We get coronation. We share in the Lord's high rule. If you are united with Jesus by faith, then you are right now co-heirs with Christ. For he is risen and he is reigning. 
and we are reigning with him by adoption as sons by the Spirit. Which means that God doesn't merely tolerate you. He treasures you. He loves you. The crown of God's steadfast love and tender mercy reminds us of our permanent position as God's chosen, adopted, and beloved children of God the Father. He loves us, therefore our souls should do no otherwise than bless the Lord. A few verses later, Psalm 103 verse 8, David links this idea to the climactic covenant moment when in response to Moses' astonishing request, Lord, show me your glory, how God's glory passed before him. Psalm 103 verses 7 and 8, let your eyes go there. He, the Lord, made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You should be saying to yourself, man, I feel like I see that verse everywhere because you do. Did you know that verse, which comes from Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7, but really verse 6 in particular, is the most frequently quoted verse in the entire Old Testament. 27 times at least that I was able to find. It is, in effect, a distillation of God's merciful, loving character and conduct towards us, his people. It is a creedal confession of a compassionate and gracious God. Let me read it for you in its totality, Exodus 34, 6 and 7. The Lord, that is Yahweh, uh, Exodus 3, verse 14 Uh, Who are you? I am who I am. God reveals to Moses, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Note that well, friends. It shows up again and again. Our God is merciful and gracious to us, and he crowns us with such knowledge. Now, fifth and finally, as I close this morning, notice that King David reminds us that God the Father satisfies us with good so that our youth is renewed as the eagles. Ultimate satisfaction. Some of you are walking around content with your forgiveness of sin when God has so much more for you. So much more for you. It's not mere forgiveness. It's full resurrection healing. It's also being completely pulled out of the pit of your prodigal life. It's also being crowned with divine authority and and royalty. We will rule even angels on this earth one day, friends. But the sweetest benefit and the last benefit is that we will be perfectly satisfied in the Son of God himself and nothing else. In Jesus, is he your all? Are you satisfied in him? Verse 5, who satisfies you with good. C.S. Lewis, I'm on a huge C.S. Lewis kick these days. He famously said, if we find ourselves with a desire, he writes this in Mere Christianity, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. We were made for another world. That's why at the end of every bottle, at the end of every accomplishment, at the end of the last dollar, you feel empty. 
Because there's nothing on this earth that can fully satisfy. Only Jesus. There's this famous scene in Charles Dickens' classic novel, Oliver Twist, that provides an earthly contrast to the robust satisfaction of the Heavenly Father above from Psalm 103. Oliver, for those who may not be so familiar with the story, is a slender, pale little boy who lives in an orphanage ruled by Mr. Bumble. Weary and hungry from hours of hard work, Oliver approaches Mr. Bumble cautiously holding out his empty bowl and says, Please, sir, I want some more. Please, sir, I want some more. Mr. Bubble explodes in anger, saying, What? What? More? He asks for more? Friends, the movie version of this shows Oliver running around trying to evade Mr. Bumble's henchman, if you've seen the movie. However, the great irony of the scene that did not escape me is that in the background of this orphanage cafeteria, written in large letters on the back wall, where these poor little orphans eat their meager meals, are the words written, God is love. God the Father is no Mr. Bumble. He is no Mr. Bumble. Verses 13 and 14 of our text say, as a father shows compassion to his children. And listen, every one of us are orphans. We were strangers. We were in need of being adopted into his family. And he lavishes us with praise. He lavishes us with love. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust. Psalm 103 I'll just close with this, says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Forgiveness, healing, rescue, being crowned, and being satisfied. Man, those are the best gifts. I can't imagine anything more from a faithful father. Therefore, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within us, let us bless his holy name. Would you bow with me? Almighty God and Father, you are so good and worthy. O Lord, you're worthy of all the praise and infinitely more so than we can offer you. So Lord, help us today not to have spiritual amnesia, not to be prone and quick to forget what you've done for us and who you are in your essence. Help us, Lord, to walk in the light of your word today, to be grateful and to be a people who go with such a glorious truth. Thank you for your love towards us in Christ, applied by the Spirit. We praise your name today in Jesus' name. Amen.